Welcome to Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast with Elizabeth Crawford, where I dish with trendsetters, tastemakers, and industry experts about everything from emerging trends to regulatory pressures to marketing strategies. Fresh and frozen retail seafood in the U.S. has been on a roller coaster the past three years, with shifting shopping habits and eating habits during the pandemic sending sales and volumes to dramatic highs. And then rising inflation in the past year, causing unit sales to plummet while dollar sales have barely held on thanks to price hikes. But as supply chains continue to recover and inflation starts to slow, the tide once again is changing for the seafood segment in 2023. And retailers and brands could see a new wave of growth, according to consumer and market research from Circana, which was previously IRI. In this episode of Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast, Circana's Executive Vice President and Americans Proteins Practice Leader, Chris Dubois, shares how the competitive landscape for retail seafood is evolving, including what types of seafood consumers want, who is shopping the seafood case, and how to engage them both in-store and online. After a sharp spike at the start of the pandemic, an ongoing heightened demand kept year-over-year fin fish and shellfish sales up in the high double digits through 2020, Circana data crunched by 210 Analytics shows both fell sharply early in 2021, as inflation began driving up prices and squeezing consumer budgets. By 2022, the amount of fin fish and shellfish purchased in the U.S., was down in the mid-teens to nearly 30% year-over-year. But as inflation begins to ease, the lows of the mid-2020s are slowly ebbing, and sales and volume are beginning to rise again. And this time, Dubois says, they could have staying power, as consumer perceptions of seafood have shifted from pre-pandemic. Seafood's been on quite a ride over the last few years. So at the start of COVID and even the first year to maybe first year and a half, seafood really took off. Um, Yeah, if you think about where sales were, it was probably one of the fastest growing departments in the store easily. In fact, from a department it was, and certainly within certain categories, it was strong, both frozen and uh, refrigerated. Both were really strong. And honestly, you don't see that. Um, that that much. Um, so they stood out you know, in the first, call it 18 months of the COVID um, pandemic on that side. So it caught, you know, caught a lot of people by surprise. And what I think caught people by surprise was that consumers really did learn how to cook seafood. And, other, and, and in many cases, they liked it. It wasn't just the fact that I'm going to go try some salmon and never try it again. We saw repurchase rates you know, very strong. So what was driving the sales um, for the first, call it 18 to 24 months, was was really consumers learning how to cook. And and some of that was because people were back in the home more. I mean, we, we all sort of suffered through the lockdowns and kind of that slow reemergence. But between people having, continuing to have money in their pockets and, you know, more and more people beginning to cook, those confident cooks really took took uh, a real shine to seafood, and that drove sales, um, both on the fresh and frozen side. So what happened over the next year was the beginning of inflation. So along the perimeter, which is sort of the meat, seafood, deli, produce, bakery areas of the store, 
those departments saw price increases faster than the rest of the stores. So inflation came to the perimeter sooner. And, you know, as a result, not only just in the store, but across the U.S. So that was, you know, not just a retail supermarket phenomenon. It wasn't just a food phenomenon in both um, restaurants, but it, but it's a big deal. So what happened then was um, a big a squeeze on the consumer, and seafood began was probably one of the victims on that. So it's a combination of mobility increasing, but also inflation just squeezing the pocketbooks a little bit more. And I think that everybody that learned how to cook seafood continued to cook some of it, but we saw the purchases come down, and that was some of the volume softness. So where we're at is almost a reset if you go back to 2018, 2019 in some cases. And in some cases, we're, we're right about there from a volume side. Um, but in many cases, prices are higher. So, you know, we've, we've been on quite a roller, I'd call it a real roller coaster ride over the last three to four years. Dollar sales are just a hair under 1% year over year growth for the last 52 weeks. Volume's down about 8.5%. But prices are up literally 10%. So if you said, you know, I'm going to increase prices 10%, what would I expect to see? You would expect to see volume sales fall, but dollar sales are holding. So what that tells me is things have stabilized um, on that side. So what we're seeing is more classic, I call it CPG behavior, where you have prices increasing, but volumes decreasing. And and that's a little bit what we're seeing. But if you go to the... um, last 13 weeks, it's a little bit different. So now volume for fresh fin fish is up about 1.2%. I'm sorry, dollar sales are up 1.2. Volume's only down 2.6, but prices are up 4. So we're seeing the rate of inflation really slow. And in many cases, it's it's dropping for some species. So catfish is down 5% in, in price year, you know, the last 13 weeks versus a year ago. The prices are actually kind of coming down. You're beginning, beginning to see the volumes come back. Um, so if I look at crab, for example, you know, prices have come way down after some pretty big price increases and not a big shock. You know, say if crab's on sale and it's lower priced, people are going to buy it. I mean, that's not, yeah, that's not going to be genius level material coming out from an insight side, um, that, you know, lower prices drive, um, higher sales, but we're seeing that behavior. So for people who would say seafood's seafood is a one-time flash in the pan back in 2020, 21, and early 22, it's not the case. Um, we're seeing things stabilize, and I think the beginnings of a, a foundation here for growth going forward. During the pandemic and the economic downturn that followed, many retailers and brands rationalized their selection choosing to focus on top sellers that they knew could keep in stock and easily turn. But as the economy stabilizes, Dubois recommends diversifying the seafood case to include more species and premium call-outs that excite consumers, and that will help drive sales further. One of the big themes that, that's emerged over the last three to four years was just salmon's become an incredible powerhouse in the seafood case. Um, it, in fact, it almost is the seafood case. A good friend of mine, Anne-Marie Rohrink, um, talks about salmon being the gr- ground beef, basically, of the seafood case, and she's right on that side. Um, this is sort of that mainstay staple, and it's it's been driving sales. In fact, um, last 13 weeks, 
Yeah, it's it's up about three percent in sales. It is only down a hair about one percent in volume sales, and it's actually up about five percent in in average price. So despite price increases, people are still buying more of it, and it's been the case for the last three, four years. The hard part is when you have a seafood case that's dominated by one species, that becomes very one-dimensional, and you know people want you know, want uh, want more variety. So if, if seafood stabilizes in here, I think the big play in 23 is the retailers are going to be looking to add back species um, that drive some extra volume and excitement in the case. And I think with lower prices, you're going to see a rotation back to shellfish here as well, where shellfish really kind of took it on the chin um, back in 22. Um, those were those were. <laughs> Those were tough times, um, but I expect things to firm up and grow here now with prices coming down. So to me, if, if I'm a retailer, I would be looking very specifically kind of store by store and trying to figure out how do I get, which species do I want to add in, into which stores, um, because now now there's a real time to capture some growth as prices have stabilized and um, you're seeing consumers come back to the case there's a set of consumers that really do kind of focus on the wild caught and will buy wild caught over and above others, you know, and Alaska as a source of that tends to be a, a really big portion of that. In other words, Alaska resonates extremely well, not only because it's recognized as a U.S. source, but, um, you know, there's that wild nature up there of, you know, sort of the frontier land that people, can relate to from both TV as well as sort of the brand um, of all the different species brought in. So the wild caught piece is a big deal. Um, yeah, you know, what I would expect to see though is probably a little bit more wild caught in the case. So last over the last year in particular, we saw a lot of retailers take out the wild caught and move it solely to the frozen side. Not a whole lot of price promotion, not a whole lot of availability um, during the seasons when it's coming. In fact. Uh, you know, we're in that kind of blessed season about um, Copper River salmon coming, you know, from the season side. I think that just opened up a day or two ago. And, um, you know, the wild caught seasons are really honest. So I I think wild caught is going to be a big part of the growth in the case. And I think that that's an easy place for retailers to look to create some excitement. And it's the same kind of excitement that you see in the meat case. So we've had um, grass-fed and organic be a big part of of the growth in the meat case over the last few years. Organic slowed just a little bit from a price side, especially on the beef. Um, but, yeah, the premium side of the meat department is still very strong, and I think wild-caught plays extremely well, and it's, it's honestly very similar, um, pulling in a lot of the same consumers. As prices come down and consumer comfort preparing seafood goes up, thanks in part to the lessons they learned during the pandemic, as well as retailers and brands offering more convenient formats and recipes, Dubois predicts seafood shoppers will diversify beyond the older, more affluent base that has dominated the space for years. Not a big shock. It's going to skew very heavily towards upper income. So the moment you take it, you know, at call it a hundred thousand dollars for household income that's you know usually typically two people working um it skews very heavily that way and a little bit smaller on the fresh side for frozen it'll pick up in particular um, more for families um yeah it's funny with air fryers it's become such a convenient item 
uh, more and more. In fact, you know, if I think of chicken strips and chicken wings and things like that, those naturally go in the air fryer, and and those sales have taken off. So I think similarly, you know, frozen in the in the same way of trying to appeal to teenagers or at least rotate into a very quick midweek meal option has become a, a big part of the staple. And some of those midweek meals, you know, we found from um, some of our consumption data just from the diaries and tracking what people both eat and what they buy. Um, it's become a power, uh, just a, a more consistent staple than, say, five years ago. So, you know, the, fresh, the refrigerated seafood tends to play higher incomes. Frozen pushes it down a little bit. I think the younger generations are going to shape an awful lot going forward. In fact, when, when you kind of look at the, the meat case, you can begin to see uh, millennial fingerprints and Gen Z fingerprints all over in terms of what's driving it. Um, yeah, so more and more, and this goes across the story. This isn't just a meat case phenomenon. It's, it's happening. So just to put it in perspective, by 2030, about half the buyers are going to be millennials and Gen Z. And when you look at the dollars in terms of who's spending what, boomers still spend uh, an incredible amount of money now. They, some of that's because they have, older kids, larger families, and, and you still have kids in the house, that's going to change in the next five or 10 years. It's a, yeah, this is a really big deal. And it's not that it has to be morbid about people dying. That's not necessarily it. There's just that natural progression of millennials are in their forties, you know, Gen Z in their early twenties, roll it forward five, 10 years. These, these people will be, you know, high, uh, higher income because they progressed in their careers and th their buying power is really going to take off. So when you have um, these kind of groups that, that prefer healthy um, alternatives that are focused on sustainability and you know, really do care about um, claims in the, in the environment and different things like that, um, I think there's a huge opportunity to shift that, that um, all, all the purchasing habits. But seafood is extremely well-positioned. Um, if it can continue with a sustainability message that it's it's really well known for and actually I think pioneered in many parts of the um, in many parts of the store to further appeal to young and more diverse shoppers, Dubois recommends retailers and brands lean into digital marketing to better tell the segment's sustainability story and to provide an enhanced level of transparency and traceability that today's consumers want. There's a big in-store opportunity that, that cuts across not only just younger generations, but for older ones. So there, there are some retailers that'll play videos and kind of show a little bit about, um, you know, their, their sourcing um, practices, a little bit about the, the, where the fish are coming from, and, and talk about the sustainability programs. The younger generations are a little bit more challenging than I would call the older generations. I mean, I, and I'm going to be part of the older one that's on this side, so just in case anybody's trying to say am I throwing stones. Younger generations want to see where that's coming from. So more and more technologies coming into seafood to be able to go directly from the shelf or the package directly back to where the boat is um, pulled, yeah, uh, caught the fish. So as, as that supply chain tightens up and there's a real transparency that, that comes through, I think seafood not only has had um, a long history of trying to you know, capture and communicate uh, seafood sustainability programs, 
but I think there's a unique way to think about technology going forward that I think that will change the seafood case and um, give the younger generations and call it the less trusting ones, the ones that want to see the internet links that will chase down, you know, where, where certain animals or in this case, fish were, were caught or raised. Um, so as a result, you know, the more retailers can put it both uh, in the store to help inform as people walk by, but also on the websites or in their, um, you know, on the e-commerce platforms, it's a natural place to connect to consumers and tell that whole story. It's not that, you know, a, a 25-year-old or a 28-year-old is going to go out and click the link every time they're trying to order salmon at your store. But knowing that they can do it once or that they can do it is a huge way of kind of building that trust, and, and but also a great way of getting that story across. Dubois adds that marketers should also lean into digital and social media to inspire and reinforce cooking skills that consumers gained during the pandemic to help increase the frequency and diversity of seafood-based meals that they're likely to prepare at home. Having YouTube um, videos or TikToks that go viral change what people buy almost overnight. I mean, it rocks supply chains. So by making it a little bit more visual and easier, it totally engages, especially the younger generations, and gives them the confidence. In other words, they can stop you know, the video, rewind. They can integrate the ingredients. They can not only figure out where to order the fish at a local retailer, because a lot of these um, recipe platforms connect right to retailer baskets, but you can get all the other things you need to go along with it, whether it's spices or sides and things like that. So that ability to create a restaurant meal is right there. So to me, you know, if I was a marketer, I would be thinking very hard about how do I increase the confidence of consumers to be able to consume the product? And, and more and more, that's really through social media and, and, and video. Dubois also recommends retailers and marketers lean on the strong health halo that seafood has had as more consumers make the connection between diet and their health and seek products that will better support their physical well-being. Ultimately, through this combination of diversifying product assortment, engaging more deeply with consumers digitally around sustainability and recipe development and even health, Dubois predicts that 2023 will be a strong year for retail seafood sales, in which the category not only will stabilize, but return to growth. With that, we've reached the end of another episode of Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast. I hope you'll join me again for another installment. And to help you remember, I encourage you to subscribe. Until next time, this is Elizabeth Crawford wishing you a productive, profitable, and safe week.